Chronic Illness Therapist podcast. This is meant to be a place where people with chronic illnesses can come to feel heard, seen, and safe while listening to mental health therapists and other medical professionals talk about the realities of treating difficult conditions. This might be a new concept for you, one in which you never have to worry about someone inferring that it's all in your head. We dive deep into the human side of treating complex medical conditions and help you find professionals that leave you feeling hopeful for the future. I hope you love what you learn here, and please consider leaving a review or sharing this podcast with someone you love. Dr. Jennifer Steiner is a board-certified clinical health psychologist who specializes in working with individuals with chronic pain and chronic illness. Dr. Steiner is one of the first board-certified clinical health psychologists in the state of Georgia. She received her PhD in clinical psychology with an emphasis in health psychology from Purdue University. She has worked with over 1,200 individuals with chronic pain over the last 10 years and was previously employed as the primary pain psychologist for the Atlanta VA healthcare system for over six years. She currently operates a private practice called Beyond the Body Health Psychology Services, serving those with chronic pain and illness. Dr. Steiner has also published multiple peer review articles on the impact of chronic pain and mental health psychological correlates of chronic pain, and psychological interventions for those with chronic pain. Dr. Steiner grew up in a family where multiple members have autoimmune conditions. She remembers realizing that everyone needed different kinds of support, and there has traditionally been very few or no therapists that were able to help work through the physical and emotional issues that come with a life with chronic illness. This is what encouraged her to specialize in this type of therapy. In addition to her work in private practice, Dr. Steiner is co-director of the Center for Mental Health and Aging's Continuing Education Program, adjunct faculty at Emory University School of Medicine, board member of the Georgia Psychology Association Board of Directors, co-chair of the Continuing Education Committee for Georgia Psychological Association, and member of the Committee on Health Psychology and Integrated Practice. My name is Dr. Jennifer Steiner, and I am a um, board-certified clinical health psychologist. Uh, um, Now, what that really means is that I work with people who have chronic pain and chronic illness um, to just better manage how those things are affecting their whole life. Um, And so right now I am in private practice. I own a 100% telehealth practice called Beyond the Body Health Psychology Services. I'm based out of Atlanta, but um, through SciPact, I actually can see people not only across the state of Georgia, but into 28 other states, I think now 30 other states. So it's a pretty, um, it's pretty cool to be able to reach people wherever they are. How do people usually find you? So um, various sources, sometimes it's referrals from doctors, sometimes it's um, just a Google search. I'm also on you know, various directories, psychology today, mental health match, um, a new directory called find empathy, which is just for health psychology, um, providers. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. And, um, so tell me a little bit about the type of clients that you see in private practice. Yeah. So I primarily work with people who have either some sort of chronic pain condition or, um, or a chronic illness or an acute illness that they're, they're managing. So lots of various types of chronic pain. Um, I've recently been seeing a lot of people who have been diagnosed with cancer or who are, you know, working through the process of chemotherapy or who have finally gotten to the point where they're like, yes, I'm cancer free. And now what do I do? I've just spent the past nine months to a year of my life focusing on fighting this horrible illness. And now I don't, 
you know, how do I get back into my life as normal? What is normal? Um, so, so that's a little subset of the type of people that I see, but really most of my work is with chronic pain. I've been working with people who have chronic pain for gosh, well over 10 years now. I used to be the, um, primary pain psychologist at the Atlanta VA medical center. And so that's what I did all day, every day. Um, and it's really just people who want to live their lives as well as they can with the illness or with the pain, you know, people who just need a little bit of an extra, extra bit of support as they're dealing with the ways in which, you know, illness can affect your whole life. And I think most people don't really think about the fact that when you're living with pain or illness, it does affect your whole life. Yeah. 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 It really does. What do you find? What do you, is there something you tend to help people navigate more often? I mean, I think it really varies. I think a big common theme that I see with people is, you know, a change in how they see themselves. You know, there's a lot of, um, and, and it's easy to understand this. There's a lot of focus on like, well, that was me before I had this condition, or that was me before the pain took control of my life or became part of my life. And the me I see now is this completely different person who can't do a lot of the things I used to be able to do. You know, I can't run the way I used to, or I can't work as long as I used to. Um, and, you know, I just, I don't know what that means about me as a person, right? When you're not able to do the things that you enjoy and that give your life meaning, it really can make you start to question, you know, well, what do I do now? And so a big part of, you know, what I spend my time and energy with my clients working on is, okay, yeah, there probably are some changes in your life because of your illness. How can we figure out the parts of your life that really are meaningful to you, that make you who you are and find another way to still have those things as an active part of your life, to still be something that defines you, even if we have to kind of figure out a new way. Right. So, um, this, the way I'm describing this might be a little bit confusing, but you know, I've had lots of people who will say, well, I used to be really involved in, in exercise, but I can't run anymore. Okay. Well, what is it about exercise that, that you loved? Is it the actual physicality of it? Is it being outdoors? You know, what is it that you miss? And can we find another way to bring some of that back, even if it doesn't look at all the same as you thought it was going to, um, and getting to a point where maybe having some is better than, than missing all of it. Right. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of values work, lots of values work. I, I think it's impossible to, to not do this without incorporating some values. You know, I've, I've got, I've got lots of people who just want to spend more time with their family and maybe the way that they spent time with their family before was, was very physically active and we have to find new ways to spend time with family so they can still have that connection, still have that be a part of their life, even if it, the way in which they do it looks different. Yeah. It sounds like you're taking um, an outcome of what they're, they're used to getting a certain outcome from the things that they love and you're figuring out what the process looks like. So how can we still get you engaged in that process, even if the outcome looks different? Exactly. Exactly. How do we kind of get that underlying need that you're missing met? So at the end of the day, when you lay your head down, you can still feel like there's a semblance of you that is still there and that is still you. Um, so that's a lot of what I do with people. The other part has to do with like, okay, when your mind is giving you all kinds of unhelpful thoughts about 
you know, how your illness is affecting your life. Let's, let's see if we can work on that so that it doesn't necessarily lead to as much depression or as much anxiety, because that can really not only make you miserable emotionally and nobody wants to feel that way, but what a lot of people don't realize is that that can actually make the physical symptoms of the pain or the physical symptoms of the illness, you know, amplified. And then it just becomes this nasty, vicious cycle that can be really hard to get out of. And so we focus on how do we get out of that vicious cycle? Yeah. One of the things that I talk a lot about with clients is the fact that physical pain and emotional pain are felt in the same neural pathways in the brain. Can you tell me some of the research or the science behind things that you have have found helpful for clients to know? Yeah. So I think it kind of goes back to that. Like people just don't realize that when we're talking about like, oh yeah, when you're not feeling well emotionally, it makes the pain worse. Like I think some people can, can, can kind of accept that relationship conceptually, but physiologically there actually is a relationship there. So the research shows that when we experience any kind of stressor or any kind of strong negative experience, including pain, especially pain, um, as well as other physical symptoms, it, you know, activates a part of the brain that then causes this whole cascade of neurochemicals, um, that ultimately end up amplifying those pain messages or those physical messages. And then, you know, when you throw in the ways in which the physical symptoms affect your quality of life, well, then of course you're going to feel depressed. Of course you're going to feel anxious. Um, And so there's a lot of good research that supports that. Usually when I work with clients, we'll spend a whole session just talking about how, how those connections actually look in the body and in the brain and what that actually ends up looking like when we apply it to their life. So, you know, what are the things that stress you out or what are the things that go through your mind and your body when you're having a bad pain day? And okay, great. Like when that happens, it's possible that the stress center part of your brain is being activated. What do you notice happening physically in your body? And so we go through a whole process of tying it together so that people can really start to recognize, okay, I'm not crazy. This really is happening. There's really a reason for this and it's not working. So we got to do something different. Yeah. And it sounds like the tying it together, bringing awareness to what's happening is most important. Um, and I also, I always want to be really careful or make sure that I'm, um, you know, getting across to people, like we don't choose how we feel. We can oh no make different choices and we can do certain things, but it's not about choosing. So yeah. What can you speak to that? To that point? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm always telling people, we don't necessarily choose how we feel. The way we feel is often a byproduct of the situation or a byproduct of the thoughts that our mind gives us about that situation. And quite frankly, I don't necessarily believe that we, we choose our thoughts either things pop into our heads and we get all this chatter. I mean, I don't know about you, but my mind is busy all the time. (laughs) And some of what my mind gives me is really helpful. And some of what my mind gives me is not, you know, it can lead me down little pathways in my mind. Um, And so when my clients experience some of these more unhelpful thoughts that their minds give them, you know, what I want to teach people is that, you know, we can learn to recognize those thoughts and we can learn to tell kind of either learn new things to tell ourselves or new ways to respond to those thoughts so that hopefully we don't end up, you know, with the same cascade of emotions and physical changes and things that come after, but like, we don't really control that. It's not your fault when those things pop in your head. It's not your fault when you feel 
low or depressed because of everything that's going on around you. Like it's a completely understandable response to the situation and it's not getting you where you want to be. So how can we change how you respond? How can we change your actions in these situations um, so that you can be closer to how you want to be in your life and how you want to feel um, emotionally? Does that make sense? Oh, perfect sense. Yeah. And you know, that, that piece of why it's so important that we're always talking about, it's not your fault is because of, if you are blaming yourself and criticizing yourself, then we can't actually gain the appropriate awareness that we need in order to change. You are so right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's not your fault. Like it's just our, the way I think our brains are often designed is we're supposed to pay attention to the things that aren't going right. We're supposed to pay attention to the negative. It's adaptive. You know, the reason so many of us kind of gravitate toward that type of thinking is because once upon a time, paying attention to the things that didn't go right allowed us to plan for the future and plan for making it go better in the future. The problem is that worked when our problems were more simple. And that's just not the way it works when we're talking about chronic illness and things that you didn't ask for or cause it, it, it doesn't apply here. Love that. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, when things were simpler, you were scared of the tiger and that was that, like it was appropriate. Yep. It was real. No one blamed you for being scared of it. Right. And now our bodies, you know, they make those same kind of, um, uh, chemical responses as if the tiger is right there, but we're like, but wait, it's not. And so therefore it's my fault that I feel this way. And that's exactly. just not the case. No, it's, it's a byproduct of how we're hardwired that for some reason has not gone away and it's creating more problems than, than serving us at this point. Yeah. Um, what drew you to working with this population? That's, um, that's a really good question. So, um, I actually grew up in a family where several of us experienced chronic pain and illness. So my mom and my sister and myself actually all have, um, autoimmune conditions with, you know, various degrees of chronic pain associated with them and various physical challenges associated with it. And actually my brother did too, but he outgrew it. Um, but anyway, growing up, I was really kind of taken by the fact that all of us seem to kind of have a different approach to dealing with what we were going through. Um, and specifically in terms of just kind of how, to, how we managed the impact of it. Um, and so I was really interested in like, wow, we've all got really similar things going on, but it, all of us are handling it very differently. And so I learned a lot about the fact that like pain and illness can look totally different um, from person to person and that there isn't necessarily a one size fits all experience or way to approach it. But I also kind of realized that there wasn't a lot of support for people going through this. So we're talking, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And I remember specifically um, trying to find some, some support on the, from the mental health side for somebody who was kind of trying to navigate how pain and illness was affecting them. And um, there wasn't anybody there. There were good therapists to deal with depression and anxiety and stress, but nobody who really understood the relationship between physical illness and emotional um, health. And I really think you need somebody who understands that connection both from like a biological and scientific perspective, but also in terms of how that affects the whole person. Um, and so anyway, I, long story to say, I have a very personal connection to it. And so I 
kind of made it my mission to be like, somebody needs to do this work. Um, and so I purposefully pursued my graduate education with, with that in mind. Um, I'm, I was kind of one of the weird ones who was like, nope, this is exactly what I'm going to do. I purposefully sought out um, a training program in health psychology because that's what we do. Um, and, and I think that personal connection has kept me passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you sounds like you've used your own life experiences to, um, inform your work and you've also gone and gotten the background. That's important. The training that's important to go along with that. Yeah. And I think, and I, I think that's a really good point is that for me, I really think that it's kind of a unique perspective because I've got my personal experience for myself, as well as the experiences watching my, my family and that professional experience. And I try to infuse all of that as well as what I've learned from, you know, the thousands of patients I've worked with now. And I recognize that even with all of those experiences, every time I sit with somebody, it, it, I'm learning something new, like the way it affects them is going to be different than how it affected me or how it affected my sister or how it affected the client I saw last Tuesday. Right. And so I think that's important to keep in mind is that there is a level of understanding. And I don't think that because I have that connection to it, that I know everything about everybody's experience. Yeah. I'm sure that leaves a lot of room for your clients to feel seen and heard and also not having to necessarily explain every little bit of what's going on. Right. I, that's my hope. I hope that we can like shorthand things like medications and symptoms and, you know, treatment recommendations. And we can share that common language because I have learned a lot about the medical side of things. And I want them to feel safe to say, this is how I'm feeling about X, Y, and Z and be able to normalize some of that. Yeah. What are some of your favorite moments with clients? Oh gosh. Um, this is going to sound kind of weird. Um, but my favorite moments are actually like the termination session or like the final session that you do yeah. with people. So, cause so often when my clients come in at the start of therapy, you know, they're feeling like their pain or their illness is just completely upended their life and they're not able to do the things that they want to do. But by the end of treatment, people have usually found new ways to connect with, with their values. Like we were talking about before, or their sense of their self and, you know, what they really want their life to be about. They've regained some sense of normal. And so often I hear people say like, I feel so much more like me. It's not hundred percent who I used to be, but I feel so much more like myself or, you know, my, I hear this all the time. My pain's not gone. It's not controlling everything the way it used to. It's still there, but I, I feel like I'm more in control now. And so being able to see somebody feel like they have regained that sense of control, they've regained that sense of self and purpose. It's just a, it's, it's a really special thing. Like, um, how, like, how can you not love that? Right. Yeah. To see that transformation and to see someone go from feeling so incapable to so capable that they don't need us anymore. Right. Which is hard, right? You know, it's, it's kind of weird to build a relationship with somebody and it's a one-sided relationship. Um, but you know, that going in, you know, that you're there to serve them and get help them get to a place that they want to be. And then if you do your job, well, they won't need you anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 How often, how long do clients typically see you for? Oh, it really depends. So, and it depends, it depends on, um, the reason why I'm seeing them and also like the approach we take. So I tend to go in two different routes. So I will either do a very values-based 
um, intervention called acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, or sometimes I go like straight up CBT, which is a, a cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a, a similar, but different approach. And so it just really depends. I would say on average, I'm going to say 12 sessions. Um, but that's, it really is a range like 12 to 24, I think would be probably a more accurate average. And yeah. then I've had some people that, you know, I saw for years because, you know, life kept giving them new challenges and those new challenges would exacerbate their illness. And we just worked through them together. So it's very hard to pinpoint, but I think 12 to 24 is probably a good, a safe, a safe bet. Yeah. That sounds about right. And, um, from, from my experience as well. So do you, do you find that people come in with a specific, like, I need help with this and they leave with something different or Mm. what does that usually look like for you? Sometimes, uh, they come in with, I need help with my sleep or I need help with my chronic pain or, and they, and then therapy takes a turn and we end up working on, um, some underlying anxiety or things like that. Um, I try really hard. So I, I usually meet with people on the phone for like a quick 20 minute free consult before I'll schedule them for a first, a full appointment. And during that like free consult call, um, we try to get a feel for like, are we going to be right for each other? So if you're somebody who has pain, but your primary concern is really a trauma that you suffered that may, that may certainly make it much harder to manage the pain because we know that the physical symptoms and the emotional experience of trauma can, can cause that vicious cycle to just keep turning. That said, I'm not a trauma therapist and I would so much rather somebody see a trauma therapist and get that expert, um, treatment that they need than see me. And so we try to weed that out at the beginning. And so I think that initial call helps, um, helps make sure that like, I'm a good fit and that we're, we're focusing on, on, on managing the health and illness, but that's not always the only thing we talk about, you know, cause health and illness does affect, you know, your relationships with family and your work and, um, various other aspects of your life. So we touch on all those things for sure. And, um, sometimes we end up doing a lot more relationship work that said, if it's something that is very clearly upfront needing of its own specialty, um, we try to address that. Yeah. It's so bi-directional. I mean, if your pain is so bad, it, it ruins your work or your relationships. Um, and we can man- learn to manage that one way or another, those things will improve, but vice exactly. versa, you know, if your relationships start improving, your pain can also improve sometimes. Right. right. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the pain or the illness is going to go away. Of course not. Right. Because there's a biological component. And so managing, you know, having your relationship go better, isn't going to magically cure the problem. I want to make that clear. Cause I right. think sometimes people get that message. However, if your relationships are less stressful and less tense, you're not necessarily going to have that activation of the stress center as frequently. And so you're not going to have that fueling of the, the vicious cycle and the cascade of chemicals that makes the pain worse. So, so that is kind of one way that things can be better managed. Yeah. Perfectly explained. Thank you for, for sharing that, that piece. Um, yeah. So it sounds like, um, a lot of your work is around helping people manage relationships better, managing even their relationship with themselves a little bit better. Absolutely. Um, and 
what would you say is kind of your, you, you talked a little bit about you practice from act and you practice from cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when it comes to goal setting, yeah. what is your approach there or how do you, how do you navigate goal setting with clients? Yeah, I think that's such an important question. Um, and I think that maybe the way I think about it is a little bit different than some people, you know, I think it's important to have goals in therapy. We need to have things we know we're working toward. That said, I think it can be really tricky with um, people who are also trying to manage their illness and their pain. And I think in our kind of Western culture, we've constantly received this message that like our worth is determined by whether we meet our goals. And so the last thing I, or how hard we work or how productive we are. And so the last thing I want to do is create a, a added stressor in the form of a therapy goal. So for me, our goals need to be aligned with what do you want your life to be about, right? Like, what do you hope life looks like at the end of this? It's more of that kind of values approach Um, rather than like, yeah, it would be lovely if, if one of your goals is to be more active, that's great. And we should think about what that looks like, but we also need to think about the why, why do you want to be more active and how do we do that without overdoing it, honestly? Uh, there, there's a lot of that. So it sounds like there's not a whole lot of like, do this two times a week to achieve this outcome at the end. Well, I don't know that I would go that far. Okay. So, so sometimes um, I, I do get prescriptive with some things. So I okay. incorporate a lot of relaxation training um, and sometimes some mindfulness work into um, my, my work with clients. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, you know, the relaxation training can often look like deep breathing exercises or, um, doing some kind of mental imagery with some, some guidance in order and the, to create changes in the body. The whole point of that is to help your muscles release tension and your heart rate to slow down and to help slow down that whole stress system that can make things worse. Um, so, so when we do that kind of work, I will say, yeah, I want you to practice this every day, or I want you to practice this a couple of times a week. And let's talk about what feels reasonable for you in terms of how often you practice. Um, so, so that's not to say that I won't give homework. I definitely give homework. And the point of that is to help create the changes we're talking about. But when we're talking about like big term goals, I definitely don't want people to feel that it there's pressure to, to do one more thing. Yeah. I love that last part. I think that's, that's the piece that, um, goals, because of like you mentioned earlier with society and the way there is this pressure to accomplish Mm -hmm. and achieve and produce. And so even when we're careful, I think sometimes it's, it's hard for clients to not take what we're encouraging and then, and then not put that pressure on themselves. So I do a lot of work on that way in that way too, with values. And it's not about the outcome but here's what's going to help you get to living this life in a way that you have, you have discovered on your own together with uh, in sessions that this is how you want to live. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's so important also to help people, you know, you know, I don't know if you see this and I guess this is just my little tangent on my soapbox that I get on, but like, I think so often people, when they're trying to do all the things with their pain and with their illness, they end up accidentally overdoing it. You know, it's not that that's happening on purpose. You're just trying to take advantage of the good day or get through all the things because it's so important. You have to get through them. And then what ends up happening is you do too much and you spend the next several days 
I, I, I hear a lot of my clients saying paying the price, you know, I spent the rest of the weekend on the couch or in bed, and then I missed out on all this other stuff I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, I think that's bad enough when you're feeling physically crappy and you're in that place of having overdone it. But then that's when the depression and this kind of beating up yourself and wishing you hadn't done it that way, all of that kind of kicks in um, yeah. as you're taking that time. And so we want to, I work a lot with people on finding a better way to balance that um, and helping them recognize it's not their fault that they've fallen into that pattern, that they're just trying to do the best they can. And there may be another strategy that they didn't realize and we can figure that out together. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important piece. That is, I think one of the most common things being able to, um, I, doing nothing because you're in so much pain mm-hmm. and then having a good day and doing everything. And then we're back in a crash. And one of the things about acceptance and commitment therapy is like, we're always just going with the flow and kind of going with what, um, just kind of moving with the waves, if you will, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, to, to just further, like, make sure the language here is like, it's not your fault. Like, even if you do overdo it, this is why acceptance is so important and also so tricky because it can also lead it down a path of, of depression. Like, okay, if nothing I do works, then why even try? Mm -hmm. But again, the trying is not about changing the outcome. It's about living life every day in a way that either gets you connected with other people or nature, or I find at the heart of my work, it's almost always about connection in Mm. one way or connecting to yourself deeper. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think especially this idea of like connecting to yourself, connecting to kind of like what you want to stand for. So as long as you kind of can, I always say this to my clients, as long as you can lay your head down at night and feel like you did something that was aligned with kind of what you want to stand for, who you are, who, what your values are, then, then, you know, that then we're doing that work together. Like it may not always look exactly the way you want it to. It may not even be as successful as you wanted it to be, but, but the, the effort was there. It's about the effort. Um, and so when we're, you know, uh, I think the other thing about setting goals is they have to be meaningful. They have to be adaptive. They can't just be goals for the sake of somebody said, this was good for me. They have to be personal. Yeah. That's, incredibly important. Um, it has to, yeah, that goes back to finding your why, like you were talking about earlier. It's the only way we'll sustain any of these changes. Exactly. Exactly. Even, um, one of the things that I will often tell clients when they're taking either maybe a lot of supplements on top of their medications, um, things that are maybe more in that like natural world is, or even your pharmaceuticals too. I always they make sure you know why you're taking this. Oh yeah. Just taking it because some practitioner told you that this is going to help this. Like if I'm taking magnesium, why am I taking magnesium? What, what systems in my body does this help? And if I'm taking Lexapro, then why am I taking Lexapro? What, what is this helping? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's so, so important. Yeah. I mean, I'm so big on, um, do a lot of the stuff that I do with my clients is like, let's figure out if the things you're doing to kind of manage your life, whether that be your emotions or your relationship or your illness, let's make sure it's working, right? Because if it's not working, then in some ways you're kind of wasting that precious energy. And when you've got pain or illness, your energy is a limited and precious resource to begin with, right? There's not a lot to go around. And so if some of that energy is going toward things that you were told to do or that you tried, but that just aren't working, 
maybe we can let that go and rechannel that energy into stuff you actually care about or actually does work. Yeah. Which will make you feel better in the long run anyway. (laughs) Right. I love that. Well, if you could give just one piece of advice, um, work-life balance or relationship advice, what, what's one thing that you would want people to kind of leave with? So I always struggle with like the work-life balance thing. I think the best advice is kind of not advice, which is that it's easier said than done. Like this idea of being able to balance it all may not always be possible. And I'm only partially kidding. Um, You know, I think that living with a chronic condition is full of good days and bad days. Um, It's, it is a roller coaster and there are a lot of ups and downs and it's important and okay to acknowledge that both are part of that process. Um, And I firmly believe it kind of was what I was saying before, we've got a finite amount of energy and you cannot spread it like peanut butter. You cannot give all of it equally to all things. And so for me and what I tell my clients, because I really try to practice what I preach is that we have to decide on a few things that really matter and that really make us feel fulfilled and true to ourselves and, you know, whatever those personal values and goals might be. And then that's what you put your energy into that's your, how, you know, that you're kind of using your energy wisely, all the other stuff that we think we're supposed to be doing, or the pressure that we get to be doing other things from family or society or wherever it comes from. It doesn't really matter if it doesn't fit with those few things. And you you know, you're not always going to be hundred percent successful in that. And there may be days where pressure gets the best of you, or one aspect of your life takes more energy than other aspects. But I think if you kind of keep that in mind as you're kind of, um, guide, if you will, it it can go far. Um, I really believe that. And I, I encourage that for my clients and I encourage that for myself as well. Uh, I love that analogy. You can't spread your energy to everything like peanut butter. That's just such a good way of putting it. (laughs) I mean, it'd be great if we could, right. But it just doesn't seem to work. Honestly, I think it's a lie that's told to all of us, even if you don't have a chronic illness. I just think that if you have a chronic illness, it affects us more physically, but I think it's a lie for everyone. Oh, I, I 100%. And I think, um, I, I apologize if I'm speaking too freely here, but I think it's true for everyone. And I think it's especially true for women. Yeah, no, it's, um, that is, that's a big piece too. Or we could probably go into a whole other episode about about hormones (laughs) and how that, how that affects, um, that's a huge piece that I work on with clients as well. So, Mm -hmm. well, thank you so much for all of that. It sounds like we do a lot of the same stuff and I'm thrilled to just meet you and, um, know that you're here, uh, in Georgia. Where, where are you located again? So, um, my practice is based out of Brookhaven, Um, online but I'm completely telehealth at this point. And so, um, in some ways it's been wonderful because, you know, if people are not having their best day physically, we do the session from bed. Is it ideal? No, but we still can do some work there. Um, and it means that you don't have to sit in the car for hours and potentially exacerbate the stress and the pain. And so it's worked out well. Yeah. That's the beauty of telehealth. It's incredibly convenient. Um, yes. Yeah. Were you doing telehealth before the pandemic? So I was, because I was actually with the VA, um, before the pandemic. And so the VA had been doing a lot of telehealth out to kind of more rural areas that we served. And it was just the the easiest way to get those services to people that were two hours away. Um, so I had, and I had kind of bought into the idea of telehealth way before everybody had. 
Um, so it was a natural transition for me. That's, I felt the same way. My, I'm actually a clinical rehabilitation counselor. Okay. And yeah. So same thing, like in the VA, uh, lots of phone, not necessarily zoom, but, um, lots of phone sessions, you know, with the rural clients. And, um, I think, yeah, we just always had an openness to, to telehealth in yeah. a, in a bit of a different way. It's it, the environment kind of forces it, but it was, um, yeah. it was nice to have had that experience. Yeah. I kind of felt ahead of the curve. It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't as much of a learning curve for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, good. Anything else that comes to mind? No, I mean, I think the only other thing I would say is that I, I believe that there's still a lot of stigmatization about seeing a, um, a therapist when for, for issues related to physical health. And when I say stigma, I mean, like I think a lot of people still get the message that they're being sent to see a therapist or sent to see a psychologist because it's all in their head. Um, and, and that's just not true. You know, the first thing I tell all of my clients is I don't think it's in your head. I don't think you're making it up and it really is affecting all of these other areas of your life. And it probably is affecting your emotional health. And, and then we have that conversation about the cycle and, you know, the fact that we can work on all of those things and in better managing all of the other things, it may actually help you manage your physical condition a little bit better too. So I don't think you're crazy. And I think I can still help. I love that. How you put that. (laughs) Where can people find you? Um, So my practice is called Beyond the Body Health Psychology Services. My website is www.beyondthebodypsych, so P-S-Y-C-H.com, um, or you just Google Dr. Jennifer Steiner. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Cool. What are your handles there? Um, my Facebook handle is Dr. Jennifer Steiner, um, as well as Instagram, all one word, Dr. Jennifer Steiner. And you can look me up on LinkedIn. I believe it's Jennifer Steiner, PhD, A-B-P-P. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It was so nice to meet you and talk to you today. Um, it was so nice to talk with you. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. If you learned something new today, consider writing it down in your phone notes or journal and make that new neural pathway light up. Better yet, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram, email me, or leave a voice memo for us to play on the next show. The way you summarize your takeaways can be the perfect little soundbite that someone else might need in order to better absorb the same lesson. Lastly, leaving a review really helps others find this podcast, so please do so if you found this episode helpful.